Invigorating or romantic? Wall light or spotlight? The lighting in our homes can completely change our mood. So if you're a lover of the humble table lamp or a grand chandelier, it's time to start thinking how to light your home effectively. I'm Laura Jackson and welcome to So How Do You, the podcast that provides you with interiors advice and guidance from the experts so that your dream home becomes your reality. In this episode, we're exploring how lights can transform our homes. So I'll be speaking to lighting consultant Max Barlow to find out how to architecturally approach lighting in our homes. Interior designer Shalini Misra for lighting design and placement inspiration. And electrician Kathy Cockin to find out the hard and fast rules of electrics and her advice to the DIYers amongst us. So how do you light your home? Those that follow me will know how fraught life can be, but I've got the perfect solution for living a little bit calmer, and that's by our sponsor, Grass & Co. Life can sometimes feel quite overwhelming, if I'm honest. However, I've been enjoying how Grass & Co. premium CBD oil has really helped calm the noise of everyday life. CBD is a natural extract of the hemp plant, which is both legal and non-intoxicating. Grass & Co. deliver the highest quality CBD infused with absolutely delicious naturally sourced botanicals. There are three ranges, Calm, Rest and Ease. My personal favourite right now is definitely the Calm range. It blends CBD with ashwagandha, chamomile and mint with vitamin B5 that helps support mental performance and relaxation. Personally, the way that I've worked this into my routine is to take a few drops of the CBD oil and put them under my tongue in the morning to prepare me for the day. It's really helped me stay calm and more focused. I might even add a few drops at night as well to help drift me off to sleep, but they've got this amazing pillow spray that's got some wonderful tranquil aromatherapy scents that do help drift me off most nights. Now for the good bit. So Grass & Co have offered listeners to this podcast an exclusive 25% off their order via their website using the code LAURA25. What a deal. Listen, you just got to go to the website, grassandco.com, and put in L-A-U-R-A and then the number 25 to start your own karma journey today. Honestly, I can't wait for you guys to try it. By doing this podcast, my eyes have really opened up to just how varied jobs are in interior design. No matter what the subject, there seems to be a specialist who can help you. And that's what's really exciting about this episode because we've got Max Barlow. Now, as I said earlier, he's a lighting consultant, which does sound quite extravagant for the everyday renovator. I actually had no idea that this job even existed when I was doing up my house. I mean, I know that lighting's important, it's a big deal, but I'd never really given it the true time that it deserves. So I'm hoping that in this episode, we're going to give you the tools to prepare your lighting and electrics properly. Max is going to share his lovely tips and tricks on lighting. So whether you're renting, redecorating or moving into a new build, there's some great take home for everyone. Max, can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Uh, So I'm a a lighting designer and I do um, commercial and residential projects. So if someone has a house or a hotel or even an office and they want to work out how best to light the space, then they'll come to me and I take into account the aesthetic and the style and the architectural details and how the space will be used and work out how best to light it. And how, I mean, how did your career lead you to be a lighting designer? (laughs) 
something well, that we don't really hear about as a job very often. No, and it was, and because of that, it was slightly an accident. I, um, when I first left school, I had a friend who worked um, in events for an events company called Starlight Design, um, and he got me a job working in the lighting department, which I absolutely loved. And so I used to do that in university holidays and stuff like that. And then when I left university, I thought I'd try my hand at financial PR, which <laughs> which I hated. And I wanted to do something more creative. And having a sister that worked in interiors, I kind of thought that maybe something down that property design route would be good. And with a some experience in lighting, I thought that that was the, the way for me. So that was really how it all started. I mean, what is the process of choosing lighting for a room? Well, that, so first things first is you have to think about how the space is going to be used. I think one of the hardest things or, or one of the areas that people go wrong with is they put in a load of lighting to light the space as a whole without any thought about where stuff's going to go or how it's going to be used. So first, first I would do the furniture layout and work out how the space is actually going to be used. Then you can design the lighting around that. And that's the way you'll get the best the best results. Where do you start with lighting in a home though? So if you're doing a bit of a, a redecoration, where should you start? Well, so however big the house is or however big the space is, you start by walking through it on a room by room basis. So you work out from the front door, if I'm walking into the space, what I want to light, where that focus should be and where the journey through the building is going to take me. So in a living room or a kitchen, you can work out what areas I want to light and where I need that light, but also how it's going to be controlled and how it's going to be pieced together. Do you often get people that forget about certain spaces or don't even consider certain spaces for lighting? Yeah, I think it's often, lighting's often the sort of first thing that needs to be considered and the last thing that is often considered. So things often get forgotten. I mean, there's always a practical element to lighting, but you also have to think about how it's going to make the space look and feel. And a lot of it, for me as a lighting designer, is about atmosphere. But it's really worth spending the time at the beginning working out how that's going to be used. And don't forget about all the different elements and the practical as well as the atmospheric and and sort of piecing it all together. And if you're renovating, you did mention that the lighting needs to be done at the beginning of a renovation so you can wire everything correctly. What would be your advice for getting it right? Because I've had a situation where I've had to go back and put a hole in the wall, basically. Yes. Well, yeah, sadly, that <laughs> that does happen a lot. And again, I guess it comes back to forward planning. It's It can be really hard if you've never moved in if you've never lived in the space before, to know exactly where everything's going to go. But the more you plan it and the more that you make those decisions of where you want stuff to be, then the better you can light the space because you know where everything's going to be, you know where that piece of art's going to be, and you can focus the light on that. I mean, the nicest spaces are the ones where you're lighting the areas of interest. So if you've got your layouts and you've got a rough idea of where you want to hang art, then that's going to put you in a great position to tell the electrician where to wire to. And hopefully when you move in, you won't have to bash too many new holes in. (laughs) And what's your favourite and least favourite ways to use lighting and why? 
Can you give me your three top favorite tips? Well, I would say the most important thing, which I always say to clients, is to not overlight a room, that darkness and shadow is as important as light. So the nice way to light a room is to, I guess, have those layers of light, to have the focused light that's going to be lighting your artwork and the areas of interest, to then have the soft ambient lighting, which will come from your nice lamps and your pendants and that kind of thing. And then thirdly, to have that accent lighting. So the up lights to the fireplace, the joinery lighting. And if you've got those three, when you come to the evening and you want to transition from a sort of brighter setting on a grey afternoon like today, and you want that more atmospheric, entertaining space, then you can turn the down lights right down. You can use the lamps more and then just have the accent lighting on. And that's that's always the nicest way to light a room. We've touched upon renovations, but what are your options if you're a renter and you're not allowed to start tearing up the walls or if you're moving into a new build and you've not been involved in those early stages? I mean, I think if you're lighting a space that you own, that's going to be different to lighting a space that you're renting because if you're owning, you can kind of put up wall lights wherever you want. Um, But if you're renting, it's probably more about the lamps, right? So what would you say is the best way to light a space that you don't own? Yes. Well, um, having recently sold my own flat and moved to the countryside, I've just started renting. So I've just been through this this very uh, situation myself. And there, it's amazing actually how much you can do. I, I moved into the rental we're in and there was so much bad lighting. It was a beautiful old cottage and uh, everything that was in there was, wasn't necessarily in the wrong place, but they just had terrible bulbs in. So you can do a lot by changing bulbs and you completely transform the space. You can, I mean, in our kitchen, for example, it had some terrible old fluorescent lights under the cupboard. So I immediately took all the blue ones out and went on the internet and bought some nice warm ones to replace them with. So you can always work out a way of, of improving it. And then, as you say, lamps, I mean... I don't want to do myself out of a job, but you can light a room so beautifully with just lamps. And so finding nice ones, nice shades, putting nice bulbs in and putting them in the right place will just completely transform the space. And is that kind of using things like taking into consideration different heights of lamps? So like a floor lamp that's quite tall or a table lamp, or even, you know, now you get these kind of paper lantern, kind of big ball lights that you can have on the floor. Like what sort of things should we be thinking about? Yeah, well, that, I mean, the nicest, the nicest way to light a room is to have pockets of light. If you have them at different layers, then you can make the atmosphere and the space feel much more interesting. So that's why lamps are so great because, you know, even just a standard table lamp is normally at eye height and what you you don't see the glare at all. What you see is the nice effect lighting up and down. So if you've then got lower level lamps, you can get plug-in up lighters, which are really nice. You can, you can plug them in and um, have them up lighting your fireplace without having to, you know, chase any wires or cut into anything. You can have, as you say, taller reading lamps that are really good to put near a chair if you want to read and that kind of thing. So to have those different layers will create a really nice effect. Do you have to take into consideration the lampshade as well? 
when it comes to table lamps? Yeah, well, I mean, it depends what you want to achieve. I mean, the reason why you have a, a, a shade on it is so that you don't see that glaring bulb. So it's important that depending on what height your lamp's at, it's important that you choose the right shade and you don't want to see that bright bulb. So you, if it's going to be higher up, you don't want a very flat lampshade. And obviously the inside of the shade, if it's silver, it's going to give a cooler light. If it's gold, it's going to give a much warmer light. I'm a fan of warmth. So I would always go to the gold side of things. But yes, that's it does affect it. And what about a new build? What if you're trying to create that atmosphere in a place that maybe isn't kind of steeped in history? How would you go about lighting a new build? Yeah, well... New builds come in all shapes and sizes, and obviously some developers are better than others. I mean, you would hope that they've wired it to have fittings in sensible places. So maybe if they if they they might not necessarily have put a decorative fitting in there, but they've wired for it, or they have, and at least you can change it so that you'll have wall lights and pendants that you can choose that will create a nicer effect, uh, and you can put those in place. I mean, there are less intrusive things that you can do. I mean, adding a five amp circuit to a room. So a five amp is is the three pin plug that means you can switch and dim it from the wall. So you can put all your lamps on one circuit and rather than going around individually switching them on, you can just switch them at the wall. And that's quite easy to do because you can run the wiring behind the skirting. If you wanted to add that to a room, that's quite easy. But otherwise, I mean, just choosing decorative fittings that suit you and that give a nice light. And you can put those, put your own stamp on a new build that way. We're going to cover more of the electrical aspects of wiring and circuits a bit later on with Kathy. But what about those types of bulbs? There seems to be so many to choose from. And come on, it is quite overwhelming. What on earth do all of those numbers on the boxes mean in practical terms? It's very easy to buy the wrong colour the wrong size or the wrong style. So what's Max's advice on getting the right bulb the first time around? One thing that you've mentioned that's really struck a chord, which anybody can do because it is really inexpensive, is just changing the bulb. So there's been, you know, there's quite a lot, isn't there, in terms of those like bird cagey light bulbs or squirrel cages or whatever they're called um, and warm lighting. What sort of things should we be looking out for when we're buying bulbs? And are there any places on the market where we, where we can get interesting bulbs from? So colour temperature is obviously the first thing. Personally, I, I use 2,700 or less. So the, the lower the number, the warmer the light. But you also have this thing called CRI to consider. And that the higher the number on that, that dictates how good quality the light is. I mean, in terms of places to go, I the best ones are places like Zyco and Tala. But more mainstream companies like Philips make very good quality bulbs and Osram. There are some terrible manufacturers out there. So I would stick to the main brands. Um, and if you go to... I mean, there's a website called Save Money Cut Carbon that's really good for LED bulbs. Yeah, so, I mean, LED has made it so much more complicated because there is, you know, in the old days when you just had a filament bulb, you just chose chose the shape, the wattage and the lamp holder, and that was it. Now you have all that, but you've also got 
the different quality of LED to consider. So what does IP stand for? If we're thinking about lighting a bathroom, for instance, we have to make sure we've got IP lights. That's something that I felt quite stuck on when I was renovating. Yeah, so their bathrooms are zoned, um, but all lights in a bathroom should really be IP rated. So it's it's called ingress protection. And you, you get two numbers, one's for water ingress and one's for dust ingress. So for a bathroom, you want IP44 as a minimum. If it's going to be in zone one, i.e. in a shower, then you need IP65. So that's a pretty much a waterproof light. Um, but they go up to IP68, which means you can fully submerse it, which is the sort of thing you'd have in a swimming pool or a pond. Well, if any of you are lucky enough to be planning your indoor pool, can we be friends? Remember your IP68 light bulbs. I told you earlier that we didn't really give much thought to the lighting in our home when we were renovating. One thing we did do, though, was remove the big light, as they call it up north, from the living room ceiling. It was so bright, it made the room feel like a dentist's waiting room. And instead, we decided to put wall lights up with some lovely lamps. However, when it is winter, it's pretty dark in here. So we've certainly gone for mood lighting, but I don't think we've got it quite right. Now we know which bulbs to buy and where to put our lights, let's explore lighting through the eyes of interior designer Shalini Misra. She's got a keen eye for a beautiful statement fitting or lampshade, and I've got my pen at the ready to drop down where she likes to go shopping. Hi, Shalini. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your career and, and what you do? So I'm actually a trained architect. I have two master's degree in architecture. And then I just chanced upon interior design because a friend of a friend was moving to London and they asked me to do a four bedroom place of theirs. And I just absolutely loved interiors. I have an interior design practice called Shalini Misra Limited, which I started 12 years ago. And it has uh, projects all over the world, which I'm really excited about this year. We're doing a project in L.A., in Los Altos, in New York, in Istanbul, in Dubai, in Mumbai, and of course, London. So it's really wonderful to learn about different cultures, different, you know, the way people speak, the, the same like terms are quite different in different countries. I mean, as an interior designer with um, architect training, how important is lighting in your project, especially if you're working all around the world? Lighting just must be so important in your spaces. It, it really is, Laura. I think um, as an architect, I understand spatial volumes very well and I like to play with the volume. So, you know, sometimes you have a double story volume, sometimes you have cozy spaces, sometimes you have large, small. So I like the contrast of spaces and lighting these spaces to create a mood is really relevant in interiors. So I sometimes I work with lighting designers, but they're mostly there for the architectural lighting. I love to play with the mood lighting, which you can bring in through layers of different types of decorative lights, you know, colored glass, uh, colored shades, patterns. So so lighting for me is a very important principle because a lot of, a lot of my design is based on well-being principles. And in that, lighting is an integral. What have been some of your favorite ways to use lighting on your projects? I love creating a mood. I love for people to stay well in the in the space that they're occupying. So lighting is very key to that because, you know, nowadays you have these sad lamps which you can buy from Amazon, which are basically bright lights. So you have to really understand that people want lighting. 
So you layer the lighting. One of my favorite lights is a candle because it has that flicker. It's so natural and you can you can have different sizes of candles. So, so I enjoy lighting a room with candles, but of course that doesn't solve our problem about lighting. So starting with the ceiling, a chandelier is really important for me because it brings um, joy to the ceiling. And for ceilings in my designs are like a canvas. They are just really interesting things to focus on. So really beautiful, impactful chandelier is really important. And then wall lighting is really important. Table lamps, floor lamps, LED lights. It's just where you use it, how you use it. You know, plants can be very beautifully lit by floor floor lights and they're very easy to source. And the plants, if you light it properly, they cast their own shadows with their leaves and, and, and that looks very beautiful. A lot of my younger clients love fairy lights, you know, around their bed. And I think they, they cast a lot of joy. So it's just um, creating creating these different moods. Of course, layering the light is very important. Ceiling, floor, table, you know, different heights is really important in a room so that it just doesn't come from one source from the top. Where are some of the best places that you source unusual light fittings and and lamps for projects? I like to bring a little bit of history into projects and um, I like to go to vintage markets where you can buy beautiful wall lights, chandeliers, floor lamps. So you bring a part of an old into your new project. So I, I love vintage shopping. Depending on where the project is based, I like to find lighting suppliers there and I try to source lighting from there. So, for example, in New York, one of my favorite designer is Lindsay Edelman, and she makes these cherry bomb style of lighting with fringes on it or apparatus that uses beautiful bronze. And they get a lot of lighting made in the Middle East. I was in Ibiza in the summer and I found beautiful handwoven cane lampshades. So so it's, it's very easy to look for lighting if you're looking for it. It's available everywhere. If you're looking to buy vintage, like you say, kind of sourcing from markets and such, do you have to get them rewired for modern electrics? A lot of suppliers, like I go to Alfie's in um, in Listen Grove in St. John's Wood, they already have rewired the lighting. But if you're importing lighting from a different country, which we do for a lot of projects, at that time, they need to be rewired for sure. And of course, the light bulbs have to be, uh, you have to check that they work in the same country. As somebody on the inside, where do you get your bulbs and light fittings and fixtures? I think sometimes as a consumer, it feels so overwhelming on the internet. So have you got any kind of tips and tricks or a little black book of, you know, secrets that you can share? I go to a lot of these hardware stores like New Line, um, Danico. We find a lot of bulbs from there. But but most of it we do order online nowadays. Leap Room is an English uh, lighting designer. And he has these bulbs which have like almost crystal cuts on them. So they are, they're really impactful bulbs or they're really oversized bulbs though. They become a light feature in itself. They become a chandelier feature in itself. What are the finer details that you think we don't really think of in terms to interior lighting? Like making sure we've got the right lampshade and the right bulb, maybe the right flex or a coloured flex on a lamp. What are those finer details, um, you know, as an interior designer? Oh, hiding the wires, <laughs> that, that I think is, is an important one. And now you can actually buy wires which are really beautiful. So you, you, even if it's exposed, it's exposed, but they're nicely, they, they have a nice cord around it, so it, it works well. 
using the right bulbs because you don't want to show the bulbs. And if you're showing the bulb, then the bulb should look beautiful, you know. So so having the right bulb is very important. For me, it's oversized chandeliers wherever you can because I like I like the lighting to be a focal point piece of sculpture. Reading light is very important now. So having lights at different height, if you're on a desk, it's fine. You have a table, table de- desk lamp, that's fine. But if you're on a sofa, to have a light which is at while you're seating at the level of your eye level is very good to have a flow standing lamp at the level of your eyes because then it's really easy to read from it. Shalini is right. There are so many brands out there at the moment who are making a bit of a statement out of extension cables and wires on lamps. So if you can't fully commit to a hidden wire, take a look at brands like Lola Palooza that we've got on Glassette. They are really fun and add some personality to your lamps. I've also found some really cool rechargeable lamps on the market. So if you've got a tricky area that you want to light with a lamp, but no nearby sockets, that's also a fantastic option. But what are Shalina's take on some of those tricky areas to like, like kitchens and rooms without natural light? So in a kitchen, how in your projects have you managed to light and create that space, um, spotlighting certain parts of the room, but without using those dreadful spotlights we all dread? You're totally right, Laura. I think spotlights, are, they sometimes cause a glare. So people don't like it and you need to look up in the ceiling and you don't want that. So you want softness in your lighting and kitchen especially, you want the kitchen to be really well lit. So um, a lot of times under the cabinet, we 100%, most of the times we have a LED strip and then we have little spots in that, but you can't really see those spots because they're hidden by the cabinet. Above the cabinet also, we'll have a LED strip. And in most kitchens, I like to use an oversized chandelier because it just breaks up that whole like function of a kitchen and it brings in some play and really some fun element into a kitchen. We all seem to have that darker, smaller, more difficult room without natural light. What's the best approach for these kind of spaces? You know, one of my joys is is lighting a basement and that doesn't really have natural light or lighting a utility room or lighting a storeroom because what I do is I use small pendants and make a linear effect with the small pendants. And most of the pendants, I like, I try to have a little bit of pattern in the pendants, you know, like a brass pendant, which has little relief work on it, because then that casts a short shadow on the walls and sometimes, you know, wherever it can. So that that creates a playful effect in, in that room. So that's one use of it. And I like to use the floor, floor lights a lot because they, they are very effective. Now, now they've come a long way where they, they're not heated, so you can actually walk on it quite comfortably. So floor lights are really beautiful as well. I love the idea of home as a canvas for collecting treasures and have always been obsessed with finding objects for my home that feel unique, functional and beautiful. After years and years of internet searching, hunting high and low for the best homeware artisans and makers, I really struggled to find somewhere where all of these things were curated in one place. This was where the idea for Glassette began, who also happened to be another sponsor of this podcast. Last year, along with Dan, my brother-in-law, I launched Glassette, the new destination to shop all things home. Glassette is a treasure trove full of beautiful homeware from the UK's best and most creative independent brands that will not blow your budget. 
from artful prints for your gallery wall to intricately hand-blown glassware for dinner parties. We've considered every moment of a life well-lived at home. My favourite thing about Glassette is that you can make a wish list for practically anything, whether it's a mood board for a room in your house, a wedding registry, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'd much rather a checkerboard rug than a microwave, or a shopping list for your next dinner party, and then you can share it with your friends and family wherever they are for them to shop from it too. Gift giving and receiving just got way more exciting. Head to glassette.com and follow us at Glassette on Instagram for inspiration, weekly new arrivals and interior design tips and tricks from the most stylish homemakers I know. You might have got the memo by now, but I'm a bit of an interiors obsessive and our sponsor Archive has always provided me with plenty of inspiration. I've always dreamt of owning a house and used to fantasise about the interiors that it would have. After years of saving, we finally went searching for our dream home. We walked into the most perfect house, which had this Sanderson Country Trail wallpaper from 1979 in the living room. I instantly fell in love. Although this wallpaper is over 30 years old, there's something so now about the print. I've absolutely loved designing this room with my furniture against the vintage print. There is something so romantic about the history that the walls have. To my delight, I've recently discovered that the Sanderson Design Group have created a new brand called Archive that really breaks the barriers between heritage and modern. They've cherry-picked designs from their archive and reimagined them in riotous colour combinations for the ultimate maximalist look. You can find some serious interior inspiration on their Instagram at archive underscore SDG. And you can shop their reimagined designs for curtains, cushions, wallpaper, lighting. I mean, literally, that's my dream shopping list. And for a limited time, if you use the code Laura10, that's L-A-U-R-A and the number 10, you will get a 10% discount. Great, right? You are just going to love everything. Let me know what you get. Well, thank you to Shalini and Max. Now you'll know where to put your lights and what you need to buy to make a statement or create an ambience. But we can't escape the fact that sometimes we need to call in the electrician for a bit of help. My next guest is electrician and founder of Little Miss Electrical, Kathy Cockin. She's going to give us some savvy lighting solutions. The DIY, do's and don'ts, as well as the most important things for us to keep at the forefront of our minds when in the planning stages. Kathy, thank you so much for joining me. Um, can you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? I'm the director of Little Miss Electrical. Um, we're a team of um, female electrical contractors based in Halifax. We sort of cover Huddersfield, Halifax, Bradford, Yorkshire, that sort of, those sort of areas. So, you know, obviously you specialise in lighting. Um, I mean, when it comes to things like hiding wires, is this something that's really doable ourselves or do we need an expert for it? Um, it depends. If you're having hardwired electrical systems, then generally it's all hidden within sort of the structure of the building. So behind the plasterboard ceiling, under the floors, um, things like that. So generally you would get somebody in to do all that because it's obviously it's quite a chore to start taking the floors up and chasing the walls out, and then you'd need somebody to patch all the um, the holes up in in the walls if you've if you've run behind a wall. Um, obviously when you're building a house, you get everything in at that point but you know quite often people do like to change things up and move things around from when it was originally built so yeah I'd recommend getting somebody in who could do that for you. (laughs) And how do you advise that people who don't have a project manager work with an electrician when they're doing their house? Um, So I just think it's always good to get hold of all the trades before you start so 
what people commonly do if they don't have someone managing the project is, is get things in the wrong order. Um, so it's essential that we come in before you plaster it because otherwise um, they do a nice neat plastering job and then you've got to get the wires behind it all. Whereas if we can come in first, we get all the wiring in and you get your plaster in after. Um, and then sometimes we come back and, and drill out things like retrofit spotlights where they're like flush with the ceiling the down lights so it depends on on exactly what sort of things that you're having but generally i would just say speak to as many of the trades as you can first and and clear up with them what whereabouts they come in the order of things and if people don't have an architect as well and they're thinking about where the light switches should be going and where the lights on the ceilings can go what kind of advice can you give people to form an initial plan before instructing an electrician um, and I always say, like, sit down and, and try and make a bit of a plan of where things are going to go. So quite often we go out to quote people and they've got a plan and they've sat and really thought about where they want everything to be. Um, and then on the other end of the scale, people, sometimes it's the first thing, first time they're thinking about it by the time we get there. Um, so I would definitely say, you know, draw yourself a bit of a plan. Like, it might feel silly drawing out a little plan or making a list, but it's so helpful to have that sort of stuff to refer back to. Um, to help you remember what you've asked for and also to help the electrician remember another thing I'd say is if you're not sure about how much lighting I'd always say like sometimes people think that that'd be too many but we, you can put things on separate switches so you don't have to use them if you think it's too bright with them or you, you only rarely want it that bright another thing as well what we quite often get when people are renovating is they feel a bit stuck with what they've got so this you might only be able to turn a switch off when you walk into a room from one door but then at the other side of the room, there isn't a switch at that side. And quite often people, when we go to court, rewires feel a bit like that's what they they just need to put it all back where it is. But a rewire is the time to get all your switches in where you want them. So if at the minute you have to trail across a room or across a hallway to turn a light back off before you go out of another room, you don't have to have that. That, that can We can change that. <laughs> yeah, I think some people, sometimes people don't feel confident with those changes. And, and, and like you say, they think that they have to have perhaps all of their lighting on one switch. And it's like, no, 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 the options are endless. You could have you know, multiple switches, you could have dimmers, you could have the lamps on switches as well. And I think sometimes we feel that we don't really know those options. Is there anywhere that people can kind of go and, and research about lighting and, and electrics to give them a bit of a base? Well, I think there's a lot of um, a lot of websites that sell lighting. A lot of them do have really good sort of informational pages where they explain about different types. I'd, I'd just say if you're looking at light fittings, if you look at more than just the sort of product pages at, at other pages on the websites, there generally is really good information if you get a good website. Um, quite a lot of them, especially the bathrooms, will give you a really good detail about you know different IP ratings and stuff there's one that we always refer customers to um, it's the lightyard.com they've got a really good blog about uh, the ratings that you should have for different things within a bathroom different lighting ratings so basically how waterproof they are but most websites have got like a bit of a blog section or a bit of an information section that'll give you a bit more details about what you need I'd always say as well look at manufacturers instructions people a lot of the time people just throw it straight in the bin don't read it but I'd definitely say you know have a good look at the manufacturers instructions as well because quite often they provide you with a lot more information than you think Mm. what do you think are the most important things when it comes to lighting a room from an electrician's point of view so definitely think where your switches are so if you've got multiple doors making sure that you can switch like the lights off at more than one place because quite often like I say it gets missed off we go out so often to houses that have been rewired recently and they've forgotten or not thought of it um obviously how much brightness you want to Mm. and I think plug sockets kind of come into play with this as well because if you've got 
if you're working with an existing house where you maybe can't rewire yet and you want to light different corners, um, you know, it's making sure that those plug sockets are in the right place for, for your lamps. Yeah, we get loads of customers who just use lamps more than they use the main light. Um, and like you mentioned earlier as well, you can have lamp sockets where you switch them on from the light switch rather than just at the, at the, at the actual um, lamp. And what, what's that socket called? It's called a five amp lamp socket, so it's got a slightly different plug on it to um, a usual lamp. And because they're quite old fashioned, um, a lot of people don't have them anymore, but they are really nice to touch if you've got sort of a lamp in the corner of the room and you just put a lamp socket in and it's wired from the light switch so you can turn it on and off from the switch. Mm. Yeah, I feel like it was quite dated, but I think it's definitely coming back because like you say, lots of people seem to like that lamp atmosphere lighting rather than the bright overhead, you know, stark room approach. And what do you think are some of the biggest mistakes in regards to lighting from your point of view that people make when they're renovating? I'd say probably not putting enough lighting in because I don't think you can ever have too many because, like I say, you can you can put a dimmer on quite easily on a lot of fittings. You can, you can separate the switching depending on how you've wired it, but maybe not enough or not in the right place. Quite, I've had before where we've put pendants in for dining tables or kitchen islands and then the plans have been changed but what I've seen people do quite a few times which looks quite good is get those fittings where they hang from a hook rather than straight from the ceiling um, and then you can relocate them and they still look nice so there's always ways around stuff I suppose generally the worst mistakes is where you've got to rechase out the plaster but then you get them plaster back up and painted and, and you never know really so I don't think there's anything that, that can't be fixed or can't be worked around it's just a matter of you know solving it whether it's to save time or a little bit of cash, a DIY job can sound tempting, but it's not always the best idea. So before you go ahead and do a botched job, take Kathy's advice. Is there anything that you think that we should definitely leave to the electricians and not be trying ourselves? Um, a lot of people swap their own light switches and sockets for nicer, maybe silver ones and things like that. Um, and if you're competent to do it and you know what you're doing, then that's okay. But a lot of people just think that it's something you can just easily do yourself. And we have had to go out to jobs quite like that quite often where they've got the wires mixed up and then something else doesn't work or it's gone bang or something along them lines. So I would say, you know, if it's not something that you're confident in doing, um, definitely get an electrician out. It, you know, if you are competent to do it, then that's that's fair enough. But if it's something that you're not you're not sure about I wouldn't just start tinkering with it because sometimes it's it costs more than to get somebody to come put it right than it did to do it in the first place <laughs> absolutely that's so true isn't it you think right I'm going to give this a go myself and then you end up calling the electrician out and it's double the amount of money it would have cost in the first place to have just sorted out the problem there's so many different lighting options now um online and it's quite difficult to to choose, especially if you're, you know, picking the light sockets or or the, or the switches or or you know even light bulbs. So, what are your tips for making sure that you don't make an error when when purchasing lighting online? Um, so, I would definitely make sure it's got a BSCN number or a BS number, um, so that it is suitable to be installed here. Because sometimes, if some light fittings have been purchased and they've not got those numbers, it means that they've not been checked for their safety standards to be fitted here and then they might not be rated correctly. So I would just say always check that, that, that they've got that. Check the manufacturer's instructions that they do what you want in. You know, if you're wanting a light that's got a motion sensor on it, 
double check the instructions, make sure that's what it says. And we always say to people, if you're buying your own, supplying your own lights, don't forget your bulbs. Quite often we'll been before to fit lights and they've, they've bought a lovely light fitting, but they didn't get the bulbs for it and they're random ones that we don't have in the van. So <laughs> always get the bulbs, check the box if they're included or not. And check the measurements as well you know when you look at something on a website it can give you an impression it looks one size when actually it comes it might be either a lot bigger or a lot smaller what do you think are the best lights for DIYers um you know things like easy fittings or easy solutions so you can get like bedside lights that actually just plug into one of your bedside sockets but then mount on the wall and they're they're quite nice so that would mean you didn't have to like go to extensive lengths having work done they just literally plug into a socket and then they've got like a switch halfway up on the fitting um, and mount on the wall and, and they're quite a quick easy thing they can look quite nice too finally have you ever fitted any vintage switches i feel like there's been a bit of a trend for people buying you know american style switches on on ebay and then having them fitted is this something that you've ever worked with or even like the victorian style that are kind of like round and vintage with like big like you know i feel like people are trying to like basically buy second hand is that anything that you've ever worked with have you got any advice should we basically not be using second hand switches well as long as that they're in good working order and they're still safe to use. It depends on the, the individual switch, I suppose, really. I have done a, a rewire where the customer wanted to keep it as original as possible. Um, and they had some really old, I think it was probably, it's got to have been 60 or more year old, the wiring that was in there. And they wanted us to refit it. But the problem was it didn't have back boxes. So there wasn't anything to mount the switches onto in the wall and we really struggled with that so we had to get some more modern switches that looked really similar so they, they sort of still give the same sort of effect but they just work quite the same i think i'd say if you can help it maybe don't buy secondhand stuff but if you you know may, you can buy reconditioned stuff i'd say maybe look at that more or replica stuff that's made to look like that but has got the correct terminals and you know is to the right standard but if it's been produced to a standard that it could be fitted previously, it, it's possible that it could still be fitted. It just depends on the individual item, really. Um, but I can see what, what I can see why you'd like the look of it. But you can buy stuff brand new that looks like the old stuff, but is up to current standards. If that makes sense. One thing that I wanted to know was when it comes to rentals, if you want to get those dimmer light switches, but you haven't got the right switch and you're not allowed to swap it, don't forget about the new technology, which is the smart bulb. So some of these have got Bluetooth connectivity, so you can actually change the color or the brightness via your phone or Alexa. I mean, wow, technology these days is amazing. If you know me, you know my life is a little bit hectic. At home, I've got John, two very small people and a dog. And they are not good for keeping things clean, especially the rugs. So let me tell you a little bit about our sponsor, Ruggable. The rugs in my house get an absolute battering from mucky paws, the kids dropping all kinds of everything everywhere, and just general wear and tear of everyday life. Let's face it, you don't get someone in to clean your rugs every other month and they don't fit in the washing machine. But then I was introduced to Ruggable. I put a Ruggable Jonathan Adler number in the kids' room and I haven't looked back. It easily pops in the washing machine and comes out brand new. The Sudafed stain, gone. The Calpol half spilled everywhere, no problem. Having a rug that I can clean myself, dry and put back in the kids' room with minimal effort is my kind of cleaning. Now, if only I could put the kids and the husband in there as well. 
If you're a busy bee like me and you're looking for minimal effort but with maximum style, then head over to ruggable.co.uk to check out their gorgeous selection of rugs. And Ruggable know I love a bargain. Yes, I do. So they have kindly offered a 10% discount to you guys if you use the code LAURA10. That's L-A-U-R-A and the number 10 on their website to get your own washable rug. Let me know how you get on. There we have it. Hopefully, if you're a DIYer, you know where to draw the line. And if you're a renovator, you know just how crucial those early planning stages are. And if you're a renter, you have now plenty of solutions to make sure you're in control of your ambience. A huge thank you to Max, Shalini and Kathy for their advice in this episode. If you'd like to take a look into them a little bit more, we've linked their socials in the show notes. Remember, if you're after the inside scoop on using plants in your home or need some more renter-friendly ideas, check out our other episodes and head to our social at So How Do You Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Laura Jackson, and that's how you light your home. 